Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham, with a special post-debate reaction podcast with a good friend, Bill Crystal, editor at the Weekly Standard. The debate between the two vice presidential candidates just ended, Bill, and I just, Bill, wake up. Bill, Bill, we're on. Go ahead. Well, my reaction, Michael, to, the, to tonight is that it's 2-2 in the ninth inning in the American League wildcard game, and you're calling me for a podcast for some reason. I mean, there's something, you know, this Baltimore is in it. We took our kids to a lot of Baltimore games, and the, the Nats weren't here yet, so this right. is the closest team to Washington. Camden Yards is a great place to watch a game. Yes, it is. So I'm rooting for the Orioles out of sort of uh, sort of old-time loyalty, and uh, one or two of my kids are still Orioles fans. So that's what I've been focused on. I guess there was some vice presidential debate going on as well. Is that right? Uh, it is so tempting. That every time you start to answer a question, for me to pull my best Tim Kaine and just interrupt you over yeah, and over. He again. was surprised. Yeah, you know, I was I'm with Brit Hume earlier tonight on Fox, and, and I guess someone said, you know, it's everyone says it's going to be a very polite debate. And I right. live in Virginia. Tim Kaine was the governor here, and then obviously now as the senator, he's a tough politician. And uh, you know, beneath that affable exterior, and I think he really is a, a pretty affable guy for my dealings with him, and a decent guy. And he's willing to, you know, play political hardball in a, in a kind of good way. I mean, in an appropriate way, I guess I would say, not in a nasty personal way. But he wanted to make one point tonight, that Donald Trump had said a million things that are indefensible and that, and that Mike Pence wouldn't defend them. And basically, I think he did make those two points. I don't know if he really convinced anyone of ever, anything that, you know, they didn't already know. Right. Um, and I actually thought Mike Pence uh, did, if you were... Uh, let's put it this way. Uh, Trump's underperforming somewhat with Republicans and conservatives, obviously. He hasn't gotten them all to come home. Some we won't get to come home. But I think if you watch that debate as kind of a conservative who just doesn't like Trump much and you recognize the truth of a lot of what Tim Kaine said about Donald Trump, actually, you still – Pence gave you enough to remind you why you're a Republican, I guess is the way I'd put it. You know, mm -hmm. Now, a lot of what Pence said wasn't actually consistent with – consistent necessarily with Trump's policies. You know, Pence sounded like a Ronald Reagan Republican on Russia and Putin on foreign policy in general. It didn't sound like Donald Trump. But again, if you were sort of a Republican, you thought, hey, this guy will be vice president. It'll be a Republican administration. I, I think Pence might have helped this guy a little bit. Yeah, I don't know who this Donald Trump is that Mike Pence has been hanging out with. I wonder right. if he knows that there's another guy named Donald Trump who's actually running for president. Because I'm expecting Pence, like in November 9th, to go, oh, that Donald Trump. Oh, it's a totally different guy. I know. I mean, I don't know what voters make of that. Do they sort of remember the Kane, you know, Kane landing quite a lot of blows on what Trump has said? And I think correctly sort of, you know, amusedly pointing out that um, that Governor Pence wouldn't exactly defend his running mate all the time. Uh, or do they remember Pence just kind of hammering away on two or three pretty big issues in uh, taxes, I would say? Foreign policy did a pretty good job of, of making the case against the Obama-Clinton foreign policy, whether Trump's is better or that different in terms of Russia is another question. But Pence made kind of the orthodox, you know, Republican hawkish attack on Obama's foreign policy pretty effectively. Immigration came up some, which it didn't really in the, in the presidential debate at all. Obamacare, the great sleeping issue, in my opinion, right. of this election, which the whole thing's falling apart. It's already won Republicans two off-year elections in 2010. They won the House. 2014, they won the Senate. And for some reason, all these Republican politicians up to the top of the ticket decided this year, let's just ignore, you know, Obama's signature foreign po domestic policy piece of legislation, which is a total disaster um, and make Hillary and which Hillary Clinton wants to build on and defend. Uh, now, Bill Clinton has said it's crazy. 
I thought Pence did a pretty good job of, of reminding people about Obamacare. Some, so I, I don't know. Kane might have won on points, but I actually think Pence might have helped Trump a little bit more in this debate. I would argue the other way that uh, Pence ended up winning the debate because he was just better on stage. He was more comfortable. He he his uh, answers uh, a little more uh, coherent and focused. Whereas uh, Kane, uh, I thought it was interesting. Frank Luntz tweeted out, who does the focus groups all the time, every time. Kane speaks, and then it had a little graphic of the arrow going straight down. He he was Kane managed to be simultaneously boring and off-putting at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah, so I'm not sure if we agree or disagree. Maybe I, yeah, I, I think I thought Pence probably helped his part of the ticket a little more. But you're saying that Kane didn't even yeah when I say I I don't that may be right. You know what? These debates are always hard mm-hmm. to call. I think we've learned that over the years. Sure. But I would say having been involved, you know, with Vice President Quayle, a very close thing, one vice presidential debate, and then having watched a bunch of others, the VP debates are particularly hard to call. Most first of all, mm-hmm. mostly they don't make much difference. But exactly. secondly. You know, they're not. No one's judging the people exactly themselves. You're judging. You're you're asking yourself how are voters going to be influenced in their judgment of the top of the ticket by what the vice presidential candidates are saying about the top of the ticket, and unless there's just some massive kind of you know victory or or some issue is exposed in a way that's memorable, uh, you know, 95% of the viewers are, are pretty undoubtedly aren't changing their mind about anything. But yeah, maybe you're right that Kane wasn't even attractive, um, sort of on stage. But do you think people did sort of get reminded again, maybe they did, that that just how unacceptable Trump is. I guess that would be. Yes, because he kept delivering that information. And Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, also there'll be the issue, I think, in the post-debate spin. In fact, it started within 90 seconds of the debate ending. Jake Tapper was rushing to the camera to say the press isn't going to let Pence get away with this, you know, uh, denying that Trump said the things he said or implying that he said them in a different context. We're going to be all over that. So the press has already announced that they're going to take this opportunity to, you know, relitigate uh, Trump's uh, statements. I want to get back, though, to the, the 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 leadership question with those two guys on stage. You know, the vice presidential kind of, uh, you know, the, the the classic question is, are you know, is this person ready to be president? Are they ready to be a heartbeat away from the presidency? And I was wondering if either of them moved farther away from the from passing the heartbeat standard. You know, it's always hard to imagine almost any of these vice presidential candidates as president, unless they come with such stature, you know, which is pretty rare that you sort of everyone says, yeah, of course he could do it. Um, you know, typically they are somewhat unknown senators or governors and the public and they haven't been running for president sometimes. Sometimes they have. But in this case, neither ran in the primary. So it's not as if a lot of people thought of them as president until the moment or you know, two days after before they're announced. You know, so I've, I've always thought that's a huge disadvantage a vice presidential candidate has. It's not sort of in people's heads already as as a possible president. Uh, given that, you know, given that no one knew either of them basically around the country except for people in Indiana and Virginia, what, just two, three months ago, right. I thought they both came across as acceptable. Yeah, I don't think people are going to be sort of horrified at the notion that either one might be president. I think Republicans across the country watching Governor Pence were thinking to themselves, okay, okay, I'm now ready to vote for Trump if McConnell and Ryan will announce immediately that the Trump impeachment begins on January 21st and that Mike Pence will be sworn in on January 22nd. If they would make the vote for Trump, we'll impeach him and give you Mike Pence. I think uh, Trump would win to lose in a landslide. 
No, I like that. And I, I think it would be good if both, if in a bipartisan way, the leaders of, bo- of, of, of both parties in Congress just agreed ahead of time that whoever wins will be impeached and then we'll just have the VP from either ticket uh, as the next president. Uh, that would be a good, maybe I'll write the editorial on that this week in the Weekly Standard. There was one last thing that I want to uh, ask you about when we got to the end of the, de- oh no, too, because I forgot to ask about the moderator and maybe I forgot to ask about her because I don't even know her name. She's on a online news program, apparently. And she was also virtually unseen in this debate, at one point begging the two candidates to please stop talking. So she she wasn't very, question. very strong. I mean, she was either very strong, but also there were times when they actually got into it a little bit where I would have just let them go sure. for five, five, eight minutes. She had some, it reminded me a little bit, I don't know, it's unfair, I'm sure, of college or high school or something where they give you uh, something ahead of time with 10 minutes for each exactly. of these nine topics. And, you know, we're at minute nine point, you know, five, nine. And so she was going to the next topic and she kept, she didn't really say, let's wrap this up, take another one minute. She would just start to read her next question <laughs> at the 10 minute mark. You know what I mean? While one of these guys was speaking, it was kind of weird, I thought. And she, and she, they tended to try to ignore her a bit. And then she'd finally kind of, and then would be off. So we're in the middle of an interesting discussion. There's one issue in particular that we're kind of getting into it uh, about. It was pretty good, I thought. And then suddenly we were, let's discuss North Korea. You know, <laughs> as I mean, it is amazing that these moderators kind of, uh, they all, and this happens with more experienced ones too, they get overscripted. And then they think, I've got to get to this next topic. They're going to criticize me later if I didn't get to it. Where an obviously the thing to do is to let this topic disappear and just let them argue about whatever they're having an interesting exchange on uh, for a while. And to his credit, Lester Holt tended to do it. I, she was one step away, I thought, Bill Crystal, from playing the Dr. Strangelove card. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Yeah, right. We're almost over there. Then the final thing is, uh, and several people, I watched the uh, the uh, debate at the uh, Washington Examiner newsroom with our colleagues, as you know, as part of the mm-hmm. great media empire. And so it was about 15 people all sitting around. And at the end of the debate, when they got to social issues, I heard kind of a groan, oh, brother, and here we go. But then the conversation started about the issue of, uh, of abortion and life and uh, Tim Kaine claiming to be a, a sincere Catholic and yet uh, uh, you know, supporting the you know, uh, legal abortion up to the third trimester. And uh, several people commented unsolicited, that may be the most civil, thorough conversation I've ever heard about abortion in a political setting. It was pretty, I mean, they both made their cases. They, they both had their arguments, either, you know, agreed or you didn't. But it, I, I thought that was an interesting moment if in this year where everything is contentious, you know, from coughing to you know, whether or not your beauty queens maintain their you know, weight standards to have abortion come and go in a civil manner. No, I thought that was impressive. And I that's because I, both of them have thought a lot about this issue. Cain is a Catholic who's pro-choice and now has to adjust to Hillary Clinton's much more radically pro-abortion rights position. Uh, Mike Pence is a strong evangelical Christian who's strongly pro-life, but has had to obviously lots of experience in explaining that view and defending it to people who don't agree with him, both in his own party and, and beyond. Um, so I think, yeah, I think they both did a good job of showing that one can hold either of those views without being, you know, contemptuous of the other and, um, and are, you know, making a pretty strong case for, for their views. I, don't, I doubt if they changed anyone's minds on it. Again, I do think this is where Pence might have helped to take it. Just if you're a pro-lifer, conservative, uh, you really don't like Trump, you don't trust Trump being pro-life, why should you? He wasn't, for, you know, for most of his life, so far as one can tell. But nonetheless, 
you see Pence's eloquent defense of it. And he was smart, I thought, to say a couple of times, I'm proud to serve on a pro-life ticket with Donald Trump. You know, so it wasn't just he, he did in that respect a service to his running mate by sort of looping Trump into that. I thought that probably helped Trump a little again with the, with the wavering voters that he might have a chance of getting back. I mean, if you're very strongly for abortion rights, you know, you're up 90, odds are, and, then, and that issue is extremely important to you, you're probably for the Democratic nominee anyway. So I don't know that Cain helped that much on that. Well, and that uh, is, uh, I think, more consideration than this debate deserves. Yes. And by the time we get to Sunday, the next debate, it'll be completely forgotten. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for joining us for this uh, last second podcast. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.